Hey everybody, this is Mark Thompson and welcome to the Chief Executive Podcast. I'm so thrilled this week to have with us John Fortson of Ingevity. You know, I get the opportunity to work with the C-level, the people who are on their way to become Chief Executive or take an important role in a global organization in the C-suite. And John has been on an extraordinary mission one in which he's been able to serve terrific companies that are growth oriented and in the role of one of the greatest chief financial officers in the world. Here he is as a senior executive having worked with Wall Street and worked with operating executives and new technologies and scientists and such a well-rounded guy who is being groomed and thought of as a shortlist candidate to become Chief Executive Officer of Ingevity. Now there was outside competition and internal competition for that role and he proved to be the best candidate after a thoughtful process by the Board of Directors. We're gonna to talk today about how John and his opportunities for growth and the growth orientation of the company have led him to be able to produce extraordinary results in his company. Join me for this really fun edition with John Fortson of Ingevity for the Chief Executive Podcast. I'd love to explore today uh, the opportunity to, to think through with folks that trajectory. When you think about what you have learned in this new role and, and what you've learned about getting in seat, what, what could you share with us that you kind of know today that you wish you knew because you've been ex experienced as a world-class chief financial officer, you've had senior executive roles here and elsewhere for many, many years. Tell us a little bit about the, the, the adventure of becoming chief executive and, and how you'd coach others to aspire to such. Well, it's interesting and I, I do think about it, Mark. Um, if I had to do it over again, uh, over the last few years, I've been at this company about five years, as you know, um, I would have invested more time earlier uh, in developing a broader set of relationships across the company. Now, to our defense, we, we were a spinoff, right? So we had a lot of work to do, uh, particularly in the financial arena, to, to be spun out and separated from our parent company. So there was plenty to do. But so much of this job really is about you know relationships across the company. And what I've actually found most enjoyable, um, but it's something that honestly I could have done earlier if given the opportunity was to develop those relationships before I sort of got into this seat because, you know, we're a global company like all companies are today and we will succeed or fail by our ability to work together and our ability to communicate effectively together. And a lot of that is tied to relationships. So um, I do spend a lot of my time focused on relationships, um, wish I had done it earlier, um, but that's just a part of the journey. When you think about those relationships, how do they really manifest themselves best? Is it a matter of uh, managing by walking around? Is it uh, car carving off time one-on-one? -on -one? Is it more uh, group meetings with, with various different pockets of expertise or departments yeah. in the company? Well, I think it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. And I do think effective leaders uh, communicate with all those different strategies, depending on what they're trying to do. Um, I have tried very hard to reach out to each of 
the leaders uh, in the company um, and to speak to them personally and to work with them personally on a very regular basis, really to make sure that we're operating on the same wavelength with the same set of priorities, but also to reinforce to them that I, I have their back and, and will support their decision-making, right? So I, I do think um, this company has a history of operating in a very centralized fashion. Um, and one of the things that we're trying to do is to enable all of our leads, whether it's a business lead or a support lead to, to go out and, and operate and make decisions more quickly um, and more effectively. And part of that is you've got to have that element of trust and just let these people know that, that you trust them to make the right decisions. And, and also understanding that, you know, people make mistakes, right? You can't operate in a zero defect mentality. Um, so I want them to understand that, that, you know, I want to see them, you know, do some things that don't work out exactly right. Right. I want to see them try different things, try new things, not be afraid of new things. And then I've also tried, um, to speak into groups, I, one of the first things I did was, and I really haven't stopped, is I, I'm continually talking to, you know, but all, well, I think of my work stream, right? But I, I talk to all the operations people, I talk to all the commercial people, I talk to the innovation and the chemist people, um, I continue to talk to the finance and the HR departments, and I, I just view it as sort of an ongoing dialogue. Um, and I try to be approachable, right? So I try to have create an environment where nothing's off the table in terms of, of asking questions. And look, it's just trying to get everybody to get in the same boat and pull in the same oars. Right? Mm. And, and then when you had a shortage of workers to come into the office during the pandemic, you rolled up your sleeves and you got down there and you actually packed boxes. Of, how did you come oh, yeah. to that conclusion and how did that go over? Well, I went over great. And, and look, I, it, it's one of those things where it was coincidental, but, um, it worked out well because of the um, the way this pandemic has played out and and the, the different stimulus benefits. You know, we like a lot of manufacturing companies are uh, encountering worker shortages in some of our plants. Um, some of it's because of health reasons. Some of it is they have other options um, besides coming into work. So, but we need we need people to work the line. So I've gone down a couple times actually, a couple weeks and spent time uh, on our plant facility outside of Augusta, Georgia. And it's been great. The employees are hugely appreciative. Um, I think it humanizes the role. Um, I also think that you get a real sense of what they're going through and the demands that, that, that are placed on them, particularly in this type of you know, world where we're social distancing, et cetera. Um, but it also gives you a chance to really understand um, what's going on and you, you get real honest, unfettered feedback, right? These are, are um, you know, employees on the line. They're not going to hold anything back. They're going to tell you what's working well and not well. And um, it's been a great experience and I'm going to continue doing it uh, across the company as best I can. I kind of so, joke with them though. I joke with them, Mark. They, they better check their quality control after I come through there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I was gonna I was gonna joke that they were probably checking your work as you went along. How did that actually look? Did you actually have to suit up? And then how productive oh, yeah. were you? How did you compare with the average uh, average uh, high quality well, guy? Know, there's really two. There's really two. Well, three areas, but but two that I spent most of my time. One is, you know, a lot of our uh, products that go into the filtration markets. Um, 
are, are very, uh, it's very labor manpower intensive because they don't lend themselves to sort of automated packing that may come, but these pieces are very fragile. And um, actually these pieces are used in uh, filtration devices um, to kill COVID, right? So they go in industrial filter systems that are used to mm. clean the air and, and purify for COVID. But um, it, it's a pretty complex packing that goes into that. And it's also a real sort of grunt work. So um, I, I think it showed the employees that I'm not afraid to sort of do the, the you know, the least sexy sort of most mundane types of tasks. Um, the other one that I was doing was involved uh, inspecting the honeycomb scrubbers, which um, is a sort of semi-automated process. So you work with a computer that's firing lasers to test certain performance parameters on them. Um, and it's pretty tough work though, because you're sort of sitting in one position and, and trying to churn through these um, honeycombs as fast as you can, because you've got to get them out the door for the customer. But that was a great job because it's very visible. It's kind of the last line of defense, right? I mean, you are the last quality check before it goes out the door. So they take it pretty seriously. Um, and, and that was a great experience too. So um, yeah, it's been great. And keep doing it, keep doing it. That's fantastic. Well, um, I'll check in with your corporate communications folks on uh, any photos or video that we may have of same or they're even still. There, there. Yeah, there. <laughs> When, when you think about that, this is one dimension of the relationships that I think often gets forgotten to really be a, a type of person who is approachable, especially in times of additional pressure and, and crisis. And the board, I guess, would be included in that and, and, and Wall Street. You're accustomed to Wall Street. You've had to be showing up for them and are enormously high regarded by the street. Tell me a little bit about the how the board works and that relationship as you bring maybe members of your team uh, in front of the board. Uh, to tell me oh, about yeah. those relationships. Well, and, and it's interesting. I mean, I, I think people tend to think of manufacturing and industrial companies as being sort of relatively old school, right? But the, the, the reality on the ground is different, right? Board members come from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different experiences. They sit on a lot of different boards. And so they see how other companies work. And that includes companies that might be, you know, considered more disruptive or, or more, um, you know, looking at different or newer technologies. And they try to bring that to the board. I, I try to bring that to our board, um, I believe very much in ongoing and regular communication. Um, I believe in, in involving them in problems and issues and trying to leverage their experience and expertise. Um, mm. I mean, you know, you, you, you can't, they're not full-time employees, so you can't take so much of their time that, that they can't do other things they want to do, but they want to help and they want to be involved. So a lot of it I find is really framing up the, the type of conversation you're going to have with them so that you can kind of maximize their value to you. Right. Mm. Um, I do write um, monthly memos to them now, which is something new for our company, but I think it helps them stay informed. It's not designed to be another board brief. <laughs> it's just designed to be sort of an update on, you know, how we're doing and what are the key issues that we're tackling across the company. Obviously, COVID's been one that we've talked a lot about, but, um, you know, right now in this, uh, as we move into early 2021, we're having a lot of issues with our supply chain disruption, the, the freight global freight network is under a lot of stress right now. And so we spend time talking about things like that and just getting their perspective and ideas on where they can help um, 
they've been great. And I really look forward. We do a lot of Zoom calls and telephone calls, but I'm really looking forward when we get past this COVID environment, um, getting them involved more directly um, with face-to-face meetings, right? Um, and, and bringing them out to the plants and bringing them out to the different work streams. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I just did a corporate directors forum, their annual meeting last week. And it was interesting to see as I auditioned, uh, we ran some surveys and one was, what are the ways you like to have communication flow between the CEO and the right. board of directors? And it's interesting to see the distribution of how some are happy to do that at the board meeting only, which was still about 40%. Right. And, but two out of three really were looking for all these other modalities, the one-on-one -on -one exposure to the team as they're brought in, the opportunity to come out to factory and work sites and, and learn in those ways. Because as you said, it's a balancing act. They're volunteers, they have enormous experience and they'd like a relationship. They'd like to feel they have impact, but there's a you know, limited amount of bandwidth that they have. Well, it's interesting too, because I, I do think, and you would know more than, than me, but I think we sit at an interesting period in the evolution of business, right? And, you know, we were talking about it a few minutes ago. I mean, it's clear that there are certain industries where the pace of change has just been so fast and so rapid, right? And board members and leaders that sit in those companies have to act a certain way. And we're seeing it now, we're, we're a specialty chemicals company, and we're seeing it now in our industry, um, you know, as the world moves away from petroleum-based products, the, the entire petrochemical industry is in a state of disruption and, and it creates tremendous opportunities for companies and leaders who, who will get out in front of that. Um, and it's exciting. It's exciting for the leader management of the company, but it's exciting for the boards too. And um, it's really an opportunity to sort of re-energize the whole process of, of corporate leadership. Well, you've certainly been a leader in sustainability as a business and as an executive. What you do, and you might want to share with folks what the impact is currently of how you really tremendously save, uh, in just one case, the what millions and millions of off-gassing tons. Uh, t talk about that. Yeah, so we really have two businesses, um, and the one you're referring to, um, we we create an activated carbon that starts life from uh, basically sawdust. Um, and this carbon is activated and is put in a container that's next to an internal combustion um, engine. And it's designed to capture the passive vehicle emissions that come from a vehicle, right? So as a, as a vehicle that has a gas engine heats and cools over the course of the day, gas evaporates into the atmosphere and this canister captures that. And our technology globally captures about 13 million gallons of gasoline a day that would otherwise evaporate into the atmosphere. Now you might say, well, what's that, the implications on an electric vehicle? There, there's no need for this on an all electric vehicle, but for hybrids, which are the vast majority of where electric vehicles are uh, today and probably for the, the foreseeable future, um, there are internal, you know, small internal combustion engines. So our technology is still very relevant for that. And we consider ourselves a part of that solution uh, to purify, protect and enhance the world. And then our other chemistry is um, basically a byproduct of uh, the craft pulping process. So when a company or a paper mill makes cardboard, we take those byproducts and turn them into usable chemistries 
um, whether it's road striping or lubricant technologies, there, there's a myriad of, of basically chemistries that compete against petrochemical chemistries, but use a renewable or um, something that's a material that's sourced from a tree. So pretty exciting, exciting. stuff. It's, it is. It's, uh, it's right at the heart of all the discussions and dialogues that are going on around sustainability. Um, you know, to give you an idea, I mean, our, our EvoTherm, which is sort of a, um, it's an asphalt technology. So it's used in, in you know, laying down roads, um, has a positive multiplier from a, a carbon footprint of 15 to 23 times, meaning the cost of one unit of carbon to create the product uh, has a 15 to 23 time positive benefit. Um, and it's because all this materials comes from renewable products. Well, this is the kind of promise. It's exciting. And, and you know, I, I just want to congratulate you again for having the opportunity to lead this organization. You've, you've been a part of really helping this entire model uh, evolve. You, 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 you had impact on influencing how the street thinks about it and to be named chief executive for this and, and uh, has really been a transformative, I think, impact for the company as well. So congratulations, John. It's, uh, it, it's a privilege seeing you take this vision and uh, and now kick it up in orders of magnitude that we're excited about in the years to come. Well, I would thank you for helping me um, and the broader team really formulate this. We call it Ingevity 2.0, but um, we think that over the next, call it 15 to 20 years, as the world moves to this more carbon neutral footprint, our chemistries have tremendous opportunities to, to change how we live our lives and you know the, the impact that we have on the planet. So we're really excited and think we have a tremendous runway. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate this. And uh, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. We'll be asking you back to help uh, um, inform and educate and inspire folks. Thanks again. No, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Chief Executive Podcast. I'm Mark Thompson, and please don't forget to like and subscribe for more episodes every week.